0: Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's word? Uh, And thus far, uh, we have tried to to, uh, make you mindful of the fact that uh, there is but one fruit of the spirit and that fruit is agape love but that fruit is also uh, listed in Scripture by the Apostle Paul with various descriptives, and we have tried to look at a couple of those descriptives. Uh, Thus far, we have looked at peace, we have looked at forgiveness, we have looked at service. Today, we want to look at faithfulness. Faithfulness, that is listed as one of the descriptives of The fruit of the Spirit. What is faithfulness? How can we define faithfulness? Faithfulness is unfailingly remaining loyal and putting that loyalty into consistent practice regardless of extenuating circumstances. I'm gonna say that again, unfailingly remaining loyal, unfailingly remaining loyal, and putting that loyalty into consistent practice regardless of extenuating circumstances. Unfailingly means what? Without fail. That wasn't hard, now I wasn't. If we exhibit faithfulness as a fruit of the Spirit, then there is never, ever, 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 ever a time when we should feel like we have permission to doubt God. Of course, that's easy when everything is going the way you want it to go. It becomes far more difficult when things are not going as you would like them to go. I always go and talk about Job whenever I talk about this. We love to list uh, Job's words at the start of his trial. Naked I came into the world and naked I shall leave. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen, Job. That's a powerful testimony. I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms have destroyed this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another. What a testimony. Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You're doing great, Job. But the longer it went on, things changed. And after a while, we, we, we hear Job saying something else. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might plead my case. Before him, I look to my left and to my right, and he's not there. I go before me and I look behind me, and he's not there. He's hiding from me. If I could just plead my case before him, he would have to admit that I am right. And by saying that, what he was actually saying is if I'm right, then you are wrong. There is never a time. If, if, if we exhibit faithfulness as a fruit of the spirit, there is never a time, there is never an appropriate occasion where we can say, I doubt God. And in fact, it is in the trials of life where that faithfulness has to rise to the top and stand up and speak for us. And that's what is described in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 18. And this is not an exegesis of James, but we're lifting this out because of what James says in these verses. What he says is that I am not interested, James speaking, I'm not interested in your profession of faith. I'm interested in the practice of your faith. What is it that, that you all say when y'all get tired of hearing me preach on Sunday? I'd rather see a sermon than hear one anytime. That was intended to be a joke. Y'all didn't laugh. Okay. All right. Maybe there was more truth to that than, than I'm comfortable with. But, 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 but that, that's really what James is saying. James is saying anybody can talk this stuff. Anybody can say it. It's can you live it? I, I, I want to see the practice of the faith. To whom is James writing? And, and under what circumstances does he write? He is writing this letter to Jewish Christians who are living outside of Israel. They had... Once been a part of the church at Jerusalem, but because of persecutions that were taking place within the church, these Jews had scattered to various places. And James is writing to them because they were facing terrible affliction. Word got to James that because of this affliction, many were abandoning the faith. We told you this is the primary reason for the writing of the book of Hebrews as well. Uh, Hebrews is not an epistle as much as it is a treatise, a defense of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ as the natural successor to the Mosaic Covenant. And therefore, the writer of Hebrews is urging those who are enduring horrific suffering to stay the course in spite of the suffering that they're dealing with. James is essentially saying the same thing in the first verses of this first chapter. He's saying, stay the course. The theme of this section of James is true faith shows itself in practical, godly living. If we are to exhibit our faith then we have to be pragmatic and we have to recognize the reality of suffering. And we have to stay the course in spite of it. Consider it sheer joy when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. This is the first section, the first uh, verses, verses 2, 3, and 4 of James chapter 1. He is saying that true faith responds with joy when confronted with testing. We've told you this many times before. It's important that you understand the distinction between joy and happiness. James is not suggesting that you should be happy in testing. What he is saying, however, is that you can maintain a sense of joy even as you go through your period of testing. Well, what's the difference between happiness and joy? I'm glad you asked. Happiness has to do with circumstances. Joy, if it's rooted in Christ, transcends circumstances. I can be unhappy and still have joy. If you are in Christ, you can be unhappy and still have joy someone asked me not 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 so very long ago uh, about me uh being a preacher do, do you like preaching and i said i love it i absolutely love it he said you you wouldn't want to do anything else and i said i would and i mean this to the depths of my heart i would rather have a bad day preaching than a good day doing anything else that you can name This is what I was called to do. And I am absolutely confident in that. And that doesn't mean that I always do it. Well, you ain't got to say amen on that part. (laughs) Doesn't mean that I always do it well. But this is what I have been called to do. And so even if there is a bad day and there are, I can still have joy. With regard to my relationship with Jesus Christ, I would be lying if I said every day went the way I wanted it to go. There have been many days, many days back to back to back to back to back, where things were calamitous. Where it looked like the bottom had fallen out. Where it looked like you would never be able to recover. And yet in the depths of that pain and heartache, I still had joy because I knew In whom my trust was. My trust was in the Lord. And that has been rock solid. Even when things have not gone the way that I wanted it to go. That's what James is saying. He's saying that you can still have joy while you are undergoing testing. And I want you to be clear on this. He calls it testing. Consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. He does not call it what many of us want to call it, temptations. He calls it testing. Is there other biblical support for this? Turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 13. To the degree... That you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. How many of us put suffering and rejoice in the same sentence? And yet, here, Peter says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 3. We are full of joy. Even when we suffer, we know that our suffering gives us the strength to go on. So it's not just James, who, because somebody to read it from James and say, well, that's, that's just James. It's throughout the scripture. I, I, I just gave you two. There are others that I, that I could give you. Where the scripture tells us, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our testing, we can have joy, if we are rooted in Christ. We we like to, it's like when, when we say love is the superlative to like, and I've made the point many times. They're two different things. They're two entirely different things. Love love is one thing and like is number. I can love you and not like you. Wow, I didn't have no problem getting agreement on that <laughs> statement. I, I can love you and not like you. I, I can have joy and not be happy. And, and, yeah, I can have joy and not be happy. So if, if, if this is a redundant theme throughout the New Testament, That that in the midst of trial and tribulation and testing, we can have joy. How does that relate to faithfulness? Let me share with you a couple of things. Number one, faithfulness suggests that we adopt a radical attitude in our trials. Radical to the person who is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And that is, we see it as a joyful experience. Not too long ago, we we were talking about Paul and his thorn in the flesh. And and Paul says, I count the thorn as a gift from God. He, He says, God allowed this to happen to show me where my strength really comes from. James is essentially saying, the same thing as I go through trial I am mindful of the fact that I don't have any strength on my own that my strength comes through my relationship and my constant dependence upon God and so The first thing that that jumps out is we should have a radical attitude toward our trials, toward our testing. And that radical attitude should be this. Number one, you shouldn't be shocked by it. I know that we have been taught if you do right by folk, folk going to do right by you. But you all old now. (laughs) Don't get mad because I called you old. (laughs) I'm sorry. Older. That, that, That make you feel better? You're old dirt. I, I, I know we, as, as children, we were taught, if you do right by people, then people will do right by you. But you've lived long enough now to know you can do right by folk. And they'll still do you wrong. You can do everything the right way and still get the wrong outcome. So why are we shocked and appalled and surprised when we are dealing with trial and tribulation? We should not be. We should expect it. The Bible gives us ample evidence that all of God's saints will encounter trial at one point or another. And it's not always because you were disobedient. Let's go back to Job. I know that's Old Testament, but but let's go back to Job. What did Job do before the suffering started to warrant the suffering? Scripture says absolutely nothing. It says God and Satan were in a conversation and God said, ain't nobody like Job. You've been going back and forth, running around. You've seen all the folk. You ain't found nobody who's as good as Job is. And, and Satan says to God, that's because you got a hedge built around him. You won't let me do nothing to him. Now, if you let me mess with him, it's going to change. And God said, go ahead, mess with him. Just don't kill him. Just don't touch his body. So, so Job takes his livestock and Job takes his crops, and Job causes, I'm sorry, Satan causes his crops to fail, causes his livestock to be stolen, causes his children to die. And Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. So Satan comes back to God a second time, and God said, uh-huh, see how Job handled all of that? He said, that's because you didn't let me touch his body. I said, "No, nah, 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 I touched his stuff, but I didn't touch him. He said, now you let me touch him, and it'll be a chain. He said, go ahead, touch it, but you can't kill it. Next thing you know, Job is broken out in sores from head to toe and he has to leave his house and he has to sit out in sackcloth and ashes and dogs come by and lick his sores. And, And his wife calls him a fool and his friends come and sit around him all day long and tell him that he ought to confess his sin. And Job said, I ain't done nothing. You and I live by this, 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 this punitive code that is America, and we, we constantly believe that if somebody's going through something, they must have done something to cause it to happen. But the Bible tells us over and over again, you ain't got to do nothing. Sometimes things just happen. But when they happen, The the, 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 the call from James is for us to count it as joy. Count it as a reason to rejoice. Because God thinks if God is letting us go through this, James says, it means that God believes in us. And you ought to feel good about that. If you're going through something, I ain't never gone through nothing like this before. Count it as a blessing. And don't get mad when somebody says, well, God must really think a whole lot of you. And don't say, I wish God didn't think so highly of me. Truth of the matter is nobody in this world goes through life without dealing with one form of suffering or another. So we should be expectant of it. We should recognize it as a test and we should submit to it. James says you ought to submit to it. Does not Jesus say the same thing? Matthew chapter 16, when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow The message version translates it this way. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Recognize it for what it is. It is the reality of life. And so if you come to a place where you can accept the reality of your suffering and not single yourselves out and pump yourselves up as somebody who's suffering a unique experience that nobody has ever suffered before. Well, then you have a you have a very different spiritual mindset as you deal with your suffering. The Apostle Paul says that that there is no suffering that any one of us has endured that is unique to us. Somebody has gone through what you're going through. Might not have been, this might be the first time you went through it, but this ain't the first time anybody's going through it. So we just have to accept it as the reality that it is. Now, you can sit there and you can say, well, why does God allow it? That's a question you can ask the Lord when you get in front of him. <laughs> Somebody's sitting there watching me on, on the camera because I, I, I get notes from time to time about why God. Allow. I can't. There are questions I can't answer. How y'all doing? There, there, there are questions I can't, I can't answer why God does certain things. He hasn't shared that with me. But when you get before him, as I pray all of you will get before him, you can ask him for yourself. In the meantime, you just have to deal with the reality of what is. If you don't know what you're doing, verse five. Pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. James suggests that our lack of wisdom is often most apparent when we're in the midst of adversity. And that makes sense to me, because when you're in trouble, when you're in pain, when you're in a state of anxiety, you don't think clearly. You make poor decisions. Because your decisions are driven not by thoughtfulness, but by the the pressures of the moment. That's why salesmen try to create certain scenes. So that they can get you to make decisions before you think about it. That's why they charge you five times more than, than, than what something actually costs. And then they convince you, well, you gotta get it now. And I know it, I know it's a little bit more, but think about the security you'll have when you get it until you get the bill and you realize you can't pay for it. We make bad decisions when our minds are not clear. We make bad decisions when we are in moments of heightened anxiety, when we're in moments of fear, when we're in moments of anger. We may make The most honest decision, I I am am firmly convinced that two of the most honest people in the world are drunk folk and angry folk. (laughs) Amen. You know why? Because all your inhibitions are down. All your tact is gone. You ever been around drunk folk? Tact is gone. Diplomacy is gone. Whatever's on their mind is gonna come up. You ever been around angry folk? It's pretty much the same thing. So, 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 so they try to catch you. Life tries to catch you in these situations where you make these decisions and they might be the honest decision, but it's not the best decision. Yes, we have to recognize that there is a time when we think Think we're making good decisions and we're not. And that's when we're in times of adversity, regardless of where the adversity comes from. And so James says, if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're doing, don't pretend that you do know. Don't act like you know. Ask God for help. Isn't that what we're saying? Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He's willing to aid you. He will carry you. through. James says, if you pray to him, he loves to help. He wants you to ask. He wants you to come to him. He says, you'll get his help and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. What does condescension mean? He won't look down on. You. He won't think you're a bad person because you came asking for help. Some people you can't ask for help because they never let you forget that you had to ask for help. Amen. He says he won't condescend. It also suggests that he won't lie to you. Paul says, I went to the Lord three times with my thorn in the flesh, and three times I asked him to remove it, and three times the Lord said, I ain't moving it. It's not going anywhere. This is something you are going to have to live with. God ain't gonna lie. He might not tell you what you want to hear, but he ain't gonna lie to you. But on on the back end of whatever it is he says to you, What he's also saying is, I'm here with you to deal with it. You won't have to deal with it by yourself. He sets down one condition in this prayer, in in, in this activating prayer life. And that is that you do it without wavering. You do it without vacillating between one thing or another. He says people who worry their prayer are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. You can't worry God into doing what you want. You can't pester God into doing what you want. That doesn't work. God blessed me with two wonderful parents. One, we could whine our way to getting what we wanted sometime. One, we couldn't wind our way into getting anything. If my mama said no, please, mama, please, mama, change your mind, mama, please, mama, please, please. And after about 10-15 minutes of that, just to get us to shut up. Come on, let's go do it. With my daddy. No, and you better not ask a second time. Some of us try to treat God the way I treat my mama. Please, God, please do it. Please please, please, please. And God is like my daddy. No. That's it. That's the end of that. I did not say my daddy was God. Don't walk out here saying that's it. I didn't say that. My point is, James is saying, don't think that you can finagle, manipulate, position God into doing what you want. Some of us are good at that because we can position folk to doing what we want. We figure out which button to push on a person and we'll, we'll push that button and make that thing work every time we can. God ain't like that. Does not work that way says, you're not going to get anything that way. Seek wisdom. Don't seek to get God to do what you want. Seek wisdom. Don't seek God to behave the way you think he should behave. Seek wisdom. And James says, if you seek wisdom, he will give wisdom to you. When the down and outers get a break, cheer when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, the flower withers, its petals wilt, and before you know it, that beautiful face is a barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment everyone is looking on in admiration, it fades to nothing. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyalty in love with God, the reward is life and more life. The key verse is the last verse there. For such persons loyally in love with God, The reward is life and more life. In Jewish culture, wealth was considered to be the measure of one's piety. The more wealthy you were, the more pious, the more holy, the more righteous you were considered to be. That's why Jesus shocked his disciples when he said that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle Than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God, because the next question that comes out of their mouth is, well, who can enter? If if rich folk can't do it, then who can? It was based upon their cultural understanding that the wealthier you were, the more righteous you were. James says not so. He says two things about wealth. Number one, whoever's got it ain't going to have it long. He says, you got it this minute. It's gone the next. Second thing he says about it is don't think that the wealthy. Are the closest to God. That's a trick that wealthy folk play on you to make you feel like you're not as close to God as they are. On that note, don't let nobody trick you into believing that they're closer to God than you are because of something that they have that you don't. James lists wealth here. But in the 20th and the 21st century, certain religious folk, tried to say that if you didn't have a particular gift of the Holy Spirit, that you weren't as close to God as they were, that that, 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 that it wasn't just enough to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but that you had to have a particular gift of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues, unknown, tongues, ecstatic utterance. And if you did not have that gift, then you did not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody make you feel like you are farther away from God than they are because they have something that you don't have. Let's be clear. The scripture teaches that the gift of ecstatic utterance or heavenly language is a legitimate gift of the Holy Spirit. What the scripture does not teach is that everybody has to have it. And the scripture does not say that if you don't have it, you ain't as close to God as the one who does. Four gospel accounts. Jesus doesn't say one word about ecstatic utterance or about speaking in tongues. What I do hear him say is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I hear him say, I am the vine, you are the branches if you abide in me and my word, not my ecstatic utterance, my word abides in you then you can ask what you will and it shall be done to you. I do hear him say, I am the resurrection and I am life. And he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So why would you let somebody, I don't care what letters of the alphabet they put behind their name. Why would you let somebody suggest to you that unless you have what they have, you're not closer to God? You're not as close to God as you could be. There are some people out there who actually say they can teach you how to speak in tongues. So 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 if you don't have the ecstatic utterance, we're going to help you get it. I didn't know that the Holy Spirit needed that kind of help. Did you? He doesn't. So 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 we have to be careful that we don't allow in the case that James lists uh, a cultural belief that the wealthier you are, the closer to God you are, get in our way, nor should we allow superficial religiosity to get in our way. And let people suggest that because you don't have this particular gift or that particular gift, you're not as close to God as you could be or should be. The Bible says that there is but one gift that every believer has, and that's agape love. I got news for you. If you speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but don't have love, it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbal, and that ain't me. That's Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse one. So quit letting folk put that stuff in your mind. James here wants us to understand that the circumstances of our lives will change from moment to moment. But the status of our relationship with God does not have to change because our circumstances change. And that's important for you older people to understand. Notice I didn't call you old this time. It's important because your status is changing. You ever notice that that you don't have the energy that you used to have? Your status is changing. Color your hair whatever color you want. You know what it is at the roots. Your status is changing. You you, you ever deprive yourself of all the food that, that, that you want and you still gain weight? And you're ready to throw the scale out the window Your status is changing. You ever wake up at 8 and at 9.30, you're ready for a nap? Your status is changing. And that's just physical stuff. Emotional stuff changes, too, as you get older. People who were once close to you begin to fade away. Time takes them away. Circumstances take them away. It's changing. People who you thought would always be there are no longer there. Your status is changing. Things that used to bring you joy, all of a sudden they don't bring you the same level of joy that they once did. Your status is changing. The point here that James is making is not about rich versus poor, or in the case of my example, about speaking in tongues. Now, the, 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 the point here is that over the span of time, your life changes. And yet, your relationship with God is the one constant that does not change. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He told a scared Joshua, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now it's your job to take these children over to the side. And then he says, as I was with Moses, So shall I be with you. And if that's not good enough for you, let me say it this way. I will not leave you. Nor forsake you. That's our reassurance. That's the thing that gives us joy. Not the circumstance that we're dealing with. But the recognition that God is with us in the midst of our circumstances. I got 12 minutes. Look at verse 13. See, I kept my glasses on so I could see the clock. Without my glasses, I can't see nothing. Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. I want you to see that he does not say it comes from the devil did you see that everybody's fine with him saying it does not come from God but I want you to see that he also says it does not come from the devil says it comes from us and only us I've told you before we give the devil way too much credit we, we, we show the devil way too much fear. The devil should be respected, but should not be feared. Resist the devil. The same James says later on in, in this epistle, resist the devil and he shall flee. Don't think God is doing it. You are doing it. He says, we have no one to blame, but the leering, seducing flare up. Of our own lust lust gets pregnant and has a baby do you see that that's why I love the message version lust gets pregnant and has a baby and the baby has a name sin sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer so my very dear friends Don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. It's important for us to recognize who God is and who we are. If you don't get anything else out of this passage with regard to faithfulness, get this. When we lack faithfulness, we give birth to the opportunity for sin to enter into our lives. So don't look at the devil. Don't do the Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. You did it. You let doubt creep in. You let the pressure, the anxiety of the moment grab hold to you. Now, somebody's gonna look at the word lust and get upset. He's not talking in purely sexual terms. Lust is an unhealthy desire for anything. Not just sex, anything. That doesn't belong to you. So, so, so when you read lust, read it in its spiritual context and not simply in a sexual context. He's saying the desire, the desire for what? The desire to have what you want. And all of us got that. All of us struggle with that. Everybody in here has a desire for how you think things ought to be. You probably told God about it this morning. You you ain't never had the prayer where you say to God, God have your way and then you start telling God what what, what his way is. (laughs) I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. I want you to open this door. I want you to close that door. We all do it. And yet if, 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 if we are spiritually minded, we should always come back to the place where we say not my will, but your will be done. And it's when we fail to do that, 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 that we open the door for lust and, and then lust has a baby and that's sin. And then sin becomes a full fledged adult in our lives and it leads to our own personal corruption. But the faithful, those who show fidelity to God, don't even give lust that opportunity. We recognize that we are more than that. And that we were called to more than that. And that it does not matter what happens to us in this life. What matters is that we live our lives in such a way that it is pleasing to him. I've told you before about when I was in in school, uh, in college, and I took a math test, uh, matrix algebra, and the guy scored the test while I was sitting in there, and he gave me more points than I deserved, and I, went back to him and told him he made a mistake and gave me more points than I deserved, expecting him to let me keep the points. He thanked me for showing him that he had done that, then he took the points that, 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 that he had given me. And my, my grade went from a B on that test to a D if I recall it correctly. And I went back to my seat saying, you fool. (laughs) But really and truly, it wasn't the foolish thing to do. I felt like a fool when I got the D. But but it wasn't the foolish thing to do. It was the integritous thing to do. Do you have integrity? That's, That's what faithfulness is. Integrity. Integrity toward God. Most of you worked a job where where you were required to follow a certain code of behavior, a certain code of conduct. Most of you come from a field of endeavor where, where, where you had certain codes that you had to live by. And you were considered to be an integritous person if you followed that code. And you were considered to be one lacking in integrity if you did not follow that code. Let me ask you, Jesus has a code. Do you have integrity? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you ain't sure what love is, let me help you. Bless those who curse you. That's love. Do good to them that hate you. That's love. Pray for them that use you and persecute you. That's love. So the real question, I spent 54 minutes to get down to this one simple question. Do you have integrity? Some some, some of y'all retired. Y'all got a little plaque on your wall that says that you had integrity. 25 years 30 years 40 years 50 years of faithful dedicated service can god put a plaque on your wall does it deserve to be there
1: since I can remember, uh, my family has always been involved in music when we were young. Uh, my mom and my dad played uh, at our family church and we would essentially provide the music for it. So, uh, as far as that much uh, goes, it's just always been in my life uh, in, in some form or fashion. Started uh, with my family at first uh, and then it just kind of grew. Uh, when I, at the school that I, uh, I went to, there was a need for musicians. So it didn't matter that I was in second grade or third grade. Uh, could you play the piano yes (laughs) we need you for a service so um, a lot of a lot of it i was doing it and i guess i fell in love with it before i knew that it wasn't something that everybody did just because i grew up with it.
0: When it comes to uh, African-American culture and the African-American community, uh, I have a lot of hope because there's a tremendous amount of talent that exists within uh, young African-American men and women. Uh, I am constantly uh, blown away and amazed by the level of uh, intelligence, uh, uh, academic acumen, drive uh, that uh, many of the young people here in this church uh, possess. Uh, and uh, I think that there is a lot that they can contribute uh, to the next generation uh, if they continue on the path that they're on. My fears though have to do with the fact that uh, for too many of us opportunities do not exist. uh, and opportunities have been cut short by uh, uncontrollable aspects of their lives and and in some cases aspects of their lives that they indulged in that were completely controllable. Uh, being young is 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 a wonderful thing it's also a frightening thing because uh, by virtue of the fact that you are young you tend to make mistakes uh, uh, you tend to exercise poor judgment, you tend to think that you can do things uh, and get away with it or or do things that are bold uh, that uh, will not have any consequences. And more often than not, uh, you're caught up in the consequences and the consequences prove to be overwhelming. Uh, too many of our young people uh, are trying to make quick dollars uh, by doing things that are illegal, immoral, risky. Uh, Too many of our young people are caught up in environments uh, that have proven to be negative and they don't seem to find a way uh, to get out of those environments. They don't have adequate help, they don't have adequate guidance and counsel to get out of those negative environments. And the environment proves to be overwhelming and they're caught up in it. Uh, like a web and, and they 're carried under in many cases, uh, talented young African American people simply succumb to the environment and and say this is this is my world and uh, i'm going to navigate it as best I can for as long as I can it's really troubling to me when I talk to young people uh, who don't expect to live to see thirty and uh, uh, that, that that's a pretty hopeless way to live life, to expect to be gone by 30. As somebody who's about to turn 54, I really recognize now how young 30 is. And to see people uh, who don't have any real expectation of living to 30, let alone beyond 30, is very troubling to me. And these are not stupid people. These are people who simply have not been given the same opportunities to achieve and to succeed, that others have been with.
1: a prayer aspect uh, because anytime you do something for the lord uh, you always want to seek his guidance Uh, after uh after praying though it's it's a combination of things because uh one you want to to try to unify your audience Uh, you want to unify them in a way that doesn't offend anybody but at the same time you want to be able to offer like a fresh experience Uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of the 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 people that uh, we're ministering to goes into that that factor uh, like, for instance, on First Sunday, uh, it's a mass choir Sunday, at least at, at the 11 a.m. service. So I'm primarily focused more on the older generation. Uh, and we're, we're more inclined to do uh, material that, that that's dear to their hearts. Uh, you hear a lot of, a lot more hymns on First Sunday, uh, as opposed to maybe like the Second Sunday. Second Sunday is, is ge- uh, geared more towards our youth, our young adult, uh, and our children. So there'll be, a, uh, the music will change a little bit. It'll be a little more contemporary, a little bit more progressive. But at the same time, uh, not to alienate uh, anyone, we'll still come back and we'll have at least one hymn uh, to kind of get everybody uh, involved. And I think at the end of the day, it's uh, it's that healthy mixture that kind of sets even this church apart from uh, from other churches, uh, other services, even, even other denominations. Uh, we're not afraid to, uh, to do contemporary music and in the same tone do a, a spiritual or a, a good old hymn, something like Amazing Grace or How, How Great Thou Art. Uh, and I think that all goes into our preparation process. The fact that we're just not afraid. We, we'll try anything. <laughs> Church Early Learning Academy is a state-of-the-art child care facility dedicated to the enhancement of your child's future. Our newly installed live web cameras allow parents to participate in their child's daily learning experience. We accept children six weeks of age through the first grade. Start your child on the right path at Shiloh Baptist Church Early Learning Academy, located at 185 Eddie Robinson Senior Drive. You can reach us at 225-343-4734.